This is Better Red Than Dead. It's a literature podcast from a left perspective. I'm Megan. I'm Tristan. I'm Katie. And today we are going to be talking about The Mask of the Red Death, which is Edgar Allan Poe's 1842 short story about a mysterious plague and dorks in costumes who get what's coming to them. (laughs) (sighs) And the many insane ass uh, interpretations thereof. So Katie, why Mask of the Red Death? Did you read the title? It's called Mask of the Red Death. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty much it. No, I am getting into... Uh, so after our Don Draper uh, event last week, I'm kind of getting into this whole sales and advertising thing. Uh, I think it could be a really lucrative and amazing career for me. So what I did was sort of use this as a springboard to synergize an advertisement. And so <clears throat> here it is. Do you suffer from a heavy flow? Is your face all covered in blood for some reason? Did you die after being ill for the length of an average situation comedy? (laughs) Well, if any of those sounds like you, you might have the red death. (laughs) And Hershey's, it's saved my childhood. No, (laughs) none of that's real. That should do it, right? (laughs) (laughs) No, here's why I want to read this. Because A, I watched flavor of love the whole thing that's a lot about clocks and this also has a (laughs) clock related subplot Uh, it's very funny there's this big clock in this rich guy's house we'll get into it later but they have a costume party around the clock and um they all get really really scared about it and they but then they're like tough later so they're like i'd fight a clock i'm not scared of a clock I'd I'd kick a clock's ass. I when it, next time it goes off, I'm just gonna be like, whatever, man. Like, mm. oh, oh, uh, Father Time, uh, the Chronos and mystery and magic of of the way that time sort of just goes forward and never backward. It doesn't frighten me at all. I mean, in fairness, have you guys never been in like an you know, antique store or something where they had a loud ass clock and you're like, I want to fight that thing? Like- oh yeah, <laughs> I want to fight every clock I see, but I'm not scared, <laughs> and that's. That's real. There's also this 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 thing that's going on right now. I don't know if anybody's aware of it. They're sort of in the midst of a pandemic, so um, this is timely. Oh, right. Cool. Okay. Timely. <laughs> hey. It's like a clock. So so that works both. Uh, the timeliness works both yeah. a reference to our current current situation <laughs> and a joke about the clock. It's also short, which I like, and. I've lost track of the numbers and letters, but we're on <laughs> number five or six or four, somewhere around there. Uh, Poe is also Poe is also weird as fuck, and he was kind of a dickhead, mm-hmm. but also people had a lot of hilarious and dickheaded things to say about him. So um, the little gentleman by the name of XYZ Auden, you may have heard of him, <laughs> described him as, quote, an unmanly sort of man whose love life seems to have been largely confined to crying in laps and playing house. Ay, ay, ay. Ay, But uh, that's, a, that's a sick burn. That's a really good burn. That's almost like the uh, Defoe, is it Swift, Tristan? Yeah. Is that? Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I forgot yeah. his name. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. I for- <laughs> I forgot his name. Yeah. But um, okay. So I love a work of literature that requires nothing of me. It requires <laughs> that I do no interpreting whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So reading the story is a little bit like having a dream 
where I show up naked to the SATs and I don't have any number two pencils. And then my mother appears and she's yelling at me. And then when my mother yells at me, I shrink until I'm the size of a baby. And then it's not me as a baby, but it's my baby. And <laughs> that's what this is like. <laughs> because you don't need an unconscious for it to be this. Yeah. Or to do any work at all. No. No, it's uh it, it's 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 most dangerous game level blame. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, even less uh even less complicated, I would suggest. Yeah. Uh although it doesn't have any like ship boaty sinky island. <laughs> yeah, ship, shipwreck island or ship trap island. Ship yeah. trap island. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, Tristan. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Oh. Uh so yeah, so that's what this is like, and I love that because it has this like angry, sad, gothy, heavy horror that is in other things. Like my brain went to Dario Argento's Suspiria, which is also like we don't really have any like we just have like big symbols and big colors, and the effect of big symbols is that they turn out to be like completely overdetermined, and that's actually cool. It's cool too, I think. And here's where here's where my digging around on the internet became fun, which is that I was like, I'm gonna read today. I'm gonna read a little bit about Dario Argento because that's like a thing that a person who's awesome does. And <laughs> Suspiria, the movie, is based on Thomas De Quincey's Suspiria de Profundis, mm. and Poe loved De Quincey, so this all fucking tracks. Uh, in a letter to his editor, Poe says that in Confessions of an English Opium Eater, the ludicrous is heightened into the grotesque, the fearful colored into the horrible, the witty exaggerated into the burlesque, the singular wrought out into the strange and mystical, and fuck yeah, now I am feeling extremely full of myself because I have fallen deep into this internet rabbit hole, and lo and behold, there was a rabbit in there. That never happens. <laughs> it was awesome. Don't pet the rabbit too hard. Don't pet the rabbit. <laughs> Don't hurt the bun buns. So this story allowed me to feel both like weirdly smart and also like I've taken a very good drug lesson. Maybe this is what opium is like. Yep. No, yeah, I, I think so. I did not know that uh, Defoe was a De Quincey. Uh, not Defoe. Sorry. Poe. I did not that. <laughs> Oh, I did not know that Poe was yeah. Depo, oh, yeah, I did not know that <laughs> Poe uh, was a De Quincey stand, Although that absolutely tracks, um, and that just reminds me of um, I was on I was on a train in the UK year I maybe twenty years ago, and like this American other American doofus like sat down next to me, and he had just picked up a copy of Thomas De Quincey's Confessions of an English Open Eater. He had no idea who De Quincey was, and he just oh. I just watched at, you know, over several miles as he just got more and more freaked out. It's like, I don't understand what this is. Like, why did you buy that? You know? Yeah, like, don't buy that. That's like, <laughs> I just picked up a copy of Naked Lunch, and I was like, this guy was a junkie. That seems cool. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, very weird, very weird choice, uh, sir. You want to do, uh, ju do junkie times deep dives. That's like definitely one you want to do with your spare time. <laughs> <laughs> on a train that sounds fun yeah, yeah sure yeah 
Yeah, and so like, why did I want to read this? Um, I would say probably less for than less for the reasons I wanted to read Journal of the Plague Year last week. Um, which like did. smart reasons? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, it's, <laughs> I think. Uh, yeah, probably. Um, like, yeah, I mean, you know, current circumstances, right? And yeah, Defoe's writing about a real life epidemic and, you know, oh, hey, maybe we look at an early 18th century text dealing with contagion and class that might have some things to say to current circumstances. And, you know, I think I think we found that it did. You know, but like, you know, Poe, we're in the Gothic, you know, the real and definitely put scare quotes around that is at some greater remove um, than Defoe's project. Although I think we have talked, um, you know, in past episodes quite a bit about how, how the goth, the Gothic, and you know, it, it's complex and quite divergent political resonances as it thinks about power and otherness and gender and things like that. And and I do sort of want to take up some of the things we were talking about way back in our Fall of the House of Usher episode about what Poe may or may not be saying about the aristocracy and and, and wealth. But no sibling fucking in this one, which is too bad. <laughs> No, there's not. Uh, although I, I will, I will just say it. At some point, I'm going to uh, talk about the uh, the 1964 Vincent Price version, which is like all kinds of weird. And and like, there's no sibling fucking, but it's like you could definitely like just add that to the mix of what that movie is. Of the weird fucking yes. experiments. Yes, exactly. Um, as I told you guys, it's it's very it's very soddy in reading of Poe. Um, but uh, yeah, like and you know, as like you guys are saying with the overt symbolism, like. We don't have to work very hard to get an anti-aristocratic reading. Um, and I do think so. All right. So why is Poe as an American in the 1840s revisiting this genre that you know does enables that sort of thinking? But I do have to say this is a lot closer to the real than I was originally uh, anticipating because dipshits having a party in the middle of a fucking pandemic. Well, all of us have neighbors. Am I right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that is that is a roast of some uh, RL people. So yeah, like uh, Poe isn't talking about this at, at all, but uh, it, it does raise one of my great phobias, which is neighbors. Um, and again, many one of the many reasons why I think you should read Rosemary's Baby because neighbors are terrifying. Yep, as are parties. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so social situation. I mean, agoraphobia. Just it's I indoors. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that I agree that neighbors are are not the best. So today we're going to be talking about the space of the house that this takes place in the question of what a symbol is here, the plague or the red death is and who Prince Prospero is and what he's doing is the quote hero, but not at all of this story. So Katie, tell us what the hell happens here. It's not very long, but tell us anyway. So there's a plague going around in this story. And, uh, but, but we have this, this hero who's leading us through his name is Jeff Bezos and he founded Amazon.com. <laughs> no, that's not really what happened. His name is Prince Prospero and he's sitting in his castellated abbeys uh, because he's welded himself and all of his friends inside so that they can do various drugs, wander listlessly about with amusements such as buffoons and ballet dancers and uh, musicians and, and wine. Or what Poe says is that there was security and all these fun things within. Without was the Red Death. <gasps> That's the plan. Don't they have to occasionally take like um, dopamine breaks? What are those called? Katie, you got to know about this. Oh, yeah. Uh, a dopamine fast when you just lay in a dark room. <laughs> right. So occasionally for all of their like giggliness and fun and, and putting on cute clothes and being not dead, they have to do dopamine fasts. Yes, they're doing dopamine fasts because- <laughs> 
<laughs> because it, in something that continues to shock me, it turns out that they've been in there for five or six months mm-hmm. in this store. They've just they've just been there. They've been hanging out, welded in for five or six months. So yes, one would need a dopamine fast after that. <laughs> <laughs> and what they're up to most of the time, I think, is just sort of like partying and reveling and and very light eyes wide shut shit. Mm-hmm. But then, but then, dear dear listener. Prince Prospero is like, what if, I know we've welded us- ourselves in here, and that's a lot of fun, but what if we stopped the light eyes wide shut shit we've been doing and start doing some really heavy eyes wide <laughs> shut shit? Uh, let's have, <laughs> we should have a large masquerade ball full of grownups in funny outfits. So we're at this party, and Poe does what any good author does when you're introduced to a party, which is set the scene and describe all the rooms. Yes. So he says, like, usually when you go down a hallway, uh, you throw a hot dog down a hallway. It's just straight, you know, just just straight ahead. There's rooms on either side. But no, not here. You have a windy, windy roads of rooms and they're all different colors. They're They're all different coordinated colors. It's really impressive. There's seven rooms in seven colors. And um, so, like, one's the blue room, and uh, you do butt stuff there. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it's just the, the furniture. <laughs> <I'm> kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, the butt stuff room's the green room. <laughs> but anyway, it's like <laughs> it's like we got a blue room, and I thought that was the talking about your screenplay room was the green room. <laughs> yeah, there's a big bowl of so brown M and M's in there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um. So he has seven rooms for seven daughters. No, that's not what's going on. Um, here's what you need to know. Tristan, I see him. I, I see Tristan getting the book. So <laughs> here's what you need to know before you know what you actually need to know. Okay. So Prince Prosper, when he did his decorating, he said, listen, folks, I know when everybody hears Prince so-and-so, they know because I'm royalty that I am probably a sex pervert. <laughs> uh, yes yes certainly he wants to cut out the middleman here and just have you visit his house and see how it's decorated and know for sure that he is a sex pervert mm-hmm. yeah positively so anyway you get the rooms right do we understand what the rooms are it's different yeah. rooms different yeah. colors of rooms they're for different really cool. fun, fun they're different for fun funsies it's different different for, yes for different types of funsies so six of the rooms are all cool to hang out in, but the seventh room is like this like black room and the the horror of all horrors. The window glass doesn't match like the other ones. It's blood red. So in addition to clashing, it's possibly symbolic. Mm-hmm. This is also yeah. like anyway. fully a 60s like chill out room oh too much lsd yeah well no it, it also like is it, it the, the 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 vincent price version right that the, the black room with the red windows is where he sets up his satanic altar you know because that's his thing that he's you know a pre- priest yeah. of satan and i'm like is is, is anton Levey gonna pop out somewhere else? holy rosemary's <laughs> baby we've just like gone backward in time yeah yeah <laughs> 
I've always put my altar to Satan in the orange room, but that's just me and my personal well, preference. Yeah, I mean, like Mister, like I would, I would think that Satan would appreciate some Mister. I mean, you know, the black and yeah. the red people are just going to be bothering him all the time. Put it somewhere where people don't expect it. You know, like <laughs> I yeah. still think that an all black room sounds like a chill out room to me. It sounds like a <laughs> dopamine fast room. I. I love this idea. It sounds very boring to do dopamine fast, though. So maybe that's just the fear of of not having constant stimulation. <laughs> Is aren't dopamine fast exclusively for the rich though? Because they're like, I can't enjoy myself too much, so I have to like stop enjoying myself. No, no, dopamine fa- <laughs> dopamine fasts are for are for people are for for fail sons with YouTube channels where they tell you how to live, but they clearly don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. That's what that's what dopamine. I thought it was for, for um for like uh Silicon Valley guys. You're thinking of uh untreated water. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> Blood boys, right? Like uh, yep. or, uh yeah. <laughs> so they get get some get some hemoglobin from uh you know someone that you've paid for from, you know. But. <laughs> yes, I I do oh Lord. Okay, so we're so so someone's dopamine fasting in that room. Don't bother them, right? There's there's so much more to be afraid of. For instance, the gigantic ebony clock that everyone is extremely scared of. So as the night grows, as the night grows long, every time the clock chimes, everyone screams and shits their pants, like all together in unison. Like they all look like the screen painting. It's very, very scary. And so, again, what they're doing is in between uh, in between clock chimes, they all crowd sweatily into the other rooms and party in an unspecified and slightly uneasy manner. <laughs> and I just, I bet they're so glad they welded themselves in because this sounds like a hoot and a half. Just That's a right. real good time. It doesn't sound stinky or sweaty or weird at all. No, no. <laughs> no, it smelled good in there. So <laughs> so as you do at a costume party, everyone's being really funny. They're all dressed as cool stuff. Like one guy's as a hanging chat and, you know, one lady's a sexy nurse. Mm-hmm. And then, but we have this other guy who they're not really dressed like that. They're in feathers or some shit. And then there's another guy who comes in and he comes in a costume that's in very poor taste. He comes dressed as the Red Death. The very thing that everyone's afraid of. That's not cool, my guy. You know how hard we are trying to avoid that. Come on, buddy. Don't harsh yeah, our buzz. That's fucked up. I'm, we I'm don't a- even open our windows. I, I, <laughs> I've envisioned uh, some dipshit having a Halloween party this fall in the midst of some kind of surge and coming dressed as the, the coronavirus. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, with like a yeah. stupid ha- ha- uh, stupid crown on. It's gonna yeah. ha- I like we're gonna see oh. pictures of this and be irritated. We one hundred percent we are. Yes, I realized this when I was reading when I was reading, and it made me sad in advance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, like you do when you're fr- when when some someone crashes your party, you don't know them. They come dressed in a terrifying and tasteless attire. What you do is you say, if you're Prince Prospero, you say. Let's hang this guy. We have to rip off his costume and hang him mm-hmm. because it's too scary. Mm-hmm. And everyone at the party that has been partying so, so hard, like Andrew WK, is like, definitely, let- <laughs> definitely let's get him. But then they're mm-hmm. like, oh, I got to look over there for something. I can't chase him. Oh, oh, oh. And Prospero is also scared 
but then he has a sort of this this moment of realizing that he is a man, god damn it. He is a real, <laughs> steely, tough type individual who wades through the crushed velvet drapery and color coordinated maze that he lives in to stab this guy. <laughs> so he like chases a man him. Does. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like a man does. He chases him all the way through his house that's dressed like, that, that looks like every different type of Skittle and a 70s honeymoon <laughs> sweet Halloween party. And he gets his knife up to stab, stab, stab. But then, oh no, there's a twist. It's Prospero who falls dead, not the rude costume guy. And everyone's gonads are electrified by this shocking turn of events <laughs> so much that they all go find the guy with the scary uh, costume on and when they try to rip his scary costume off they find that nothing is in the costume <gasps> holy shit holy shit heavens to bippy <laughs> <laughs> and then what happens is that everyone fucking dies they all get the red death which kills you in the length of time it takes to watch an episode of Seinfeld it's very fast and they all die. And then Poe concludes this way. And now was acknowledged the presence of the Red Death. He had come like a thief in the night and one by one dropped the revelers in the blood-bedewed halls of their revel and died, each in the despairing posture of his fall. And the life of the ebony clock went out with that of the last of the gay and the flames of the tripods expired. <laughs> Talk about that later. And darkness and decay and the Red Death held illimitable dominion over all oh, damn illimitable that that is a not a word that you encounter much. <laughs> i kind of think in 1845 it was i think poe just like yeah. you know the man lives for a over the top for a being over the top um so well, <laughs> yeah Ma maximal he's maximal um <laughs> Sorry for this like new critical foray. Although I actually think that's fine with Poe, but yeah, um, I just wanted to like, and we'll probably get to this when we talk about symbols. The use of mask there is—is is there any depth to that? Because like, yeah, like on the one at the masquerade, I mean that's uh, obvious. There's also like the sense of like uh, like a, a mask, like in the early modern period, is like a play, but that is one that is staged specific, like a fairly elaborate play, but is staged specifically in the context of like a court, like it, it's like put on for like royalty or aristocracy. And then there's like the mask this as like kind of pure symbol. Like I'm thinking of a Percy. Shelley's Mask of Anarchy poem, which is this play performance thing, but like the whole thing is a symbol for this other thing. Like, I don't know. I mean, that's probably like, I mean, I guess my point is like, damn, look, he's doing symbolism even in the, <laughs> the title. You know? <laughs> no, I think that's like with Poe, you can just be like, it's all, it's like, this is just a bunch of symbols, man. But then the symbols spin off into like all kinds of like wild LSD directions no totally and i guess too i, I just kind of wanted like oh maybe there's something there just because like i do like <laughs> i think there totally is yeah well and like i there is a very kind of way to repo where it's just like because the symbols are so overt that you kind of just let it stay there but i do think that there are sometimes like layers of kind of historical depth particularly in his engagement with the gothic as a form right mm -hmm. like in and in the moment so i don't know just just throwing it out there it's a, like a, cool, a cool thing i remember from my my milton class like 10 years ago <laughs> we take something from everything 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And if you think that your Milton class will never come in handy again, all you have to do is start a literature podcast with your good friends <laughs> and do like <laughs> 30-some odd episodes, and then you'll get to kind of just bust that out. And actually, I didn't know that about masks, so it is very helpful. It's very helpful. I also think that you, a person should take a Milton class so you can own people when they talk about how the seven deadly sins comes from the Bible. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You can be like in your face. Yeah. And be like, no, it doesn't. Everything yeah. comes from Paradise Lost. Yeah. No, basically. Uh, um, yeah. Milton. Yeah. Mil- Milton generally is good for owning people. Because but... everything is from fucking Paradise Lost that people think is from the Bible. It's uh, yeah. really funny. And I say this as both a person who's stupid about religion, but has actually read the Bible. No, definitely. And Mil- Mil- yeah, I mean, damn, John Milton basically invented Protestant Christianity in, in, in the English speaking world. You know? I mean, kind of dope. That's kind of yeah. cool. Yeah. And Satan's the coolest one in that poem. So. Yes. Blake is 100% sure. right. Satan is the hero of that poem. Let no one convince you otherwise. <laughs> no one has read it, or else they wouldn't say the dumb shit they think is in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's, plenty of d- there's plenty of dumb shit in there just on its own. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You just gotta, you know, read that and say dumb shit about the Bible. That's perfectly legitimate. <laughs> Sounds like a lovely afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna record versions of myself saying dumb shit about the New Testament. <laughs> Here's my feelings about the Gospel of Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's start a second podcast. <laughs> That's all we do. Yeah. A second podcast called Better Gospels Than Dead. Yep. Oh, that sounds nice. Let's do that. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, yep, 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 yep. My feelings about Luke. Yep. I'm in. You want to hear thoughts on Corinthians? I got them. <laughs> we got some, uh, uh, what are the um, the passions? Let's do some passion plays. Yeah, sure. Yeah, maybe we can when, get Right Mel when Gi- I'm done my masquerade ball. I didn't dress up like this for nothing. <laughs> maybe we can get Mel Gibson on the, on the podcast. <laughs> He's not doing anything else. <laughs> no, just sitting around being quite deranged and uh, anti-Semitic, I, I'm sure. But. Yep. I'm sure he has a full calendar of saying slurs. <laughs> uh, so the context today, Katie, is like, bo- is like about Poe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're just talking Poe. Okay. Because we did- didn't last time we talked Gothic. I mean, and Poe is actually interesting. So give it to us. So you, here's what y'all want to know. Yes, he did marry his 13-year-old cousin. He did it. It's not just a rumor. No. The, the the rumors are true, as they say. He did do that. He married his 13-year-old cousin, Virginia Clem. We'll talk about that a little later, but he does seem to have been a bit of a Peter Pan type. So this story sounds a little bit less cute because of the cousin stuff, but <laughs> apparently, <laughs> I don't know, apparently he would walk down the streets of Baltimore I know Tristan's going to correct my pronunciation. Palmer Um, in the house, yeah. (laughs) yeah. (laughs) I'm just going to be doing pink flamingos over here. (laughs) We all have our own part to play in this uh, in this Baltimore story. John Waters and uh, and Edgar Allan Poe. That's right. (laughs) Frederick (laughs) Douglass. Fred Frederick Douglass. Oh yeah, yeah, trio. And we often knit together. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. They used to get into quite some capers. Um, no, they didn't. They were not allowed at the same time. <laughs> anyway, I'll tell you what happened. So he was walking down the streets of Baltimore, and kids, like a big crowd of kids, would follow him down the street and go like, caw, caw, and like flap their arms. 
like a like a raven. <laughs> and then he would twirl around and scream nevermore into their <laughs> little tiny faces. And they got a huge kick out of it. Okay, that's kind of great. Yeah. It is funny. Yeah. It is a good story. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, it is a good, you know, it is a good story. The real question is, do kids, we're talking about the outsiders next week, do little kids run up to Essie Hinton still alive and go, do it for Johnny, and she turns around and goes, stay cold! (laughs) (laughs) Yes. 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 (laughs) I'm going to send her an email, remind me. (laughs) Yes, send her several emails. Don't stop until she replies. Ms. Hinton. (laughs) (laughs) yes well we'll talk we'll 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 get really into this next next episode but um okay poe was known for other things aside from the i wish i hadn't started with that it's a real sour thing from here on out is a downer (laughs) yeah so he was born in 1809 and he's basically spent all the time until his death getting fired getting kicked out of places and making enemies (laughs) 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 one thing he especially made an enemy of a co-worker whose his name was like harold snatchington or something i can't remember (laughs) what the guy's name was but he totally took a shit on him in in an obituary it was it's kind of funny but anyway so uh, Poe's mother died and his father, his parents died. And then he was taken in by the Allens. And when it came to his relationship with the, with the cousin, Virginia. So there's this, this biographer of Poe says that Poe came to depend on them, uh, on his, on his new family. Um, Poe's cousin, Virginia was 14 years younger than he was and had not been to school, though she had been taught to sing and play the piano. Despite this, the two developed a close friendship. Poe called Virginia Sissy. She called him Eddie. Virginia looked up... Yeah, I know. It's bad. Virginia looked up to Poe and he tutored her. They went for walks together. Uh, After a time, Virginia's mother began to treat Poe like a son, and Poe started to behave toward his aunt as if she were his mother, calling her Muddy. That was his cute nickname for her was Muddy. And his relationship with Virginia, I know. Um, I can see all of our expressions right now going like, yeah. Everyone's like, oh, no. Did he just speak bad German? He just he wanted it to be Muti, but it, he pronounced <laughs> it bad? I think that much like happened. Uh, this happens with Poe a lot where I think we long to give him more credit than he yeah, <laughs> just deserves yeah. on some of this stuff. Yeah. Not that the stories aren't good, but have you, any of you figured out that I'm doing German on Duolingo right now? Because I am. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm up to the. <laughs> hey, <laughs> um, I passed uh, what re- German for research purposes by running everything through Google Translate and not <laughs> learning a word of anything. You want to know what a real try-hard dipshit Buddha judge does? Take a graduate level seminar in the language. What an asshole! Oh, our own <laughs> ma- the mayor Peter the Pod. That, oh, that, oh. That, that. You, I thought you were doing it to your. I thought we were. It was one of those things where you were joking about it, so we could. <laughs> I'm no. Just because you do something doesn't mean you are something. I learned nothing else from Foucault. I also totally misunderstood what you were saying. I thought you were just owning Pete Buttigieg. I didn't know you were talking about yourself. No, I actually did that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. 
Yeah, that's a little try hard, but hey, I mean, we all have that in us. So. We all have a story of being dipshit tryhards because we all went to fucking graduate school. So we all have a moment of that. Yeah, oh, totally. Yeah. No, listen, Megan, you're not being tryhard. You just had high hopes. High, <laughs> high hopes. <laughs> For a minute, I did. Minute. Oh, oh <laughs> damn. Is it? I mean, it's deep now. A couple months ago, it would have been topical. Yeah. No, yeah, but I mean, you know, people are like, who the fuck is Pete Buttigieg? I, I barely remember that name, right? Like, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No, he's gone back to uh, South Bend to play piano. Yeah. <laughs> and lock his husband into the kitchen until he's ready for dinner. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, so he calls his, <laughs> he calls his not mother, Muti, his mother in law. Mother in law? Who is his aunt? Some real Chinatown shit here. He does. He does refer to her as his aunt, uh, as, as his as aunt or aunt or whatever you want to say, depending Auntie where Bonnie. you're from. Um, so Poe wrote a bunch of letters to her when he found out that there was this rich guy, this this rich ne'er do well who who wanted to invite Virginia to live with him and pay for her school. And it seems like, in fact, that is really what he wanted to do it was totally it was like a pretty much legit thing but poe flipped a nut and started screaming about how he uh didn't want to live anymore and um how could you do this to me oh aunt and mother-in-law of mine what would make you think that this isn't a good idea um but anyway his hissy fit his his hissy fit actually worked because they wound up getting married after that when she <laughs> was 13 years old oh yeah. And they had to do a first wedding so they could be married. And then they did a second wedding when she was 14 for appearances. Oh, yeah. No, that's fine. I mean, I was, when you said 13, I was weirded out, but 14, it's like, sure. That's, that's fine. That's, yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 You can drive a car and uh, drink alcohol and all kinds of stuff when you're 14. That's, oh, yeah. That's when right? you can go to that's punk cool. shows by yourself. <laughs> yeah. That's when you get a black zip up hoodie and a studded belt. <laughs> So we've talked about how this wasn't regular and normal, mm-hmm. yeah. even even back in the back in the day. No, no. But you know how just how not regular and normal it was because he lied on the marriage paperwork. He said he checked the box that said she was twenty one, and she sure as shit was not. Mm-hmm. And he sort of just lied about it to all of his friends, even though they were like, "Dude, that's definitely a fucking thirteen year old, buddy." Mm-hmm. And not only that. But he would also pretend to be implausibly young. So he would just like shave a few years off like a real housewife. And just <laughs> like that was sort of. And just be like, I'm 24. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was five yeah. when I wrote that. Just a regular, yeah. normal guy. Yep. But anyway, he was also a bit of a, a bit of a man about town, bit of a bit of a hapless dipshit womanizer. He was always like writing letters to his to his long ago schoolmates and such. And uh, Virginia's letter survived where she's very pissed about it. And she's in her 20s. She died when she was 24 of tuberculosis. So, uh, and the only, the only picture of her that exists is, was painted after she had died. Oh. So, it's this very, it's this strange, interesting portrait. She's, where most of it's taken up with her forehead, actually. And people say you can tell she's dead in the picture. I can't. Anyway, go check for yourself. But there are also a lot of st- so that that's one of the big stories that goes around about Poe. The other one, this sort of like life defining event. The other one was his death. There are are all of these 
rumors that still survive about what Poe was like. And mm-hmm. it seems like he was definitely an alcoholic and he was addicted to opium. But it seems like he wasn't quite as sloppy as it <laughs> now sounds that he was. I also would just like to say, in the 19th century, how would you tell if anyone was an alcoholic or an opium addict, yeah. given the massive quantities of alcohol and opium, you know, middle class Americans just consumed on the regular also, how can you be like, he doesn't look well? <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, oh, yeah, you look like shit. Just like everyone else in yeah. this <laughs> No, 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 dude. You look bad for the 19th century. Yeah, that's- Okay, yeah, yeah that's that's pretty astonishing. I mean, I've seen pictures of him and he does not look well for the 19th century. No. I look into those glassy eyes and I know he's never felt well. I know it. <laughs> that's certainly <laughs> yeah. true. Uh, but when, so there's like a the big stories about when he died. I'm not going to get- totally into them. He did go see a doctor before he went on his final trip to try to land himself a media job. Um, It's a shame to go out like that. But so he went to the doctor. He's like, doctor, I don't feel so good. And he, you know, rammed a bunch of cocaine up his ass or whatever and sent him on his way. (laughs) No, he didn't. He didn't do that. The doctor said, you don't seem like you're well. And the reason why is because he accidentally took his fancy umbrella instead of his own, like that had a sword in it and shit. He tried to steal the doctor's umbrella. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, sure. I would do that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So he visited Philly, definitely got hella drunk. But there's also a possibility that he was drugged and involved in this uh, 19th century voter fraud type thing where you do weekend at Bernie's to someone and just get them to vote <laughs> again and again. Awesome. Um, yeah, uh, it was it was called cooping. And I don't know what sort of drugs they would pump people full of. But then on the trip back, he was like, oh, I don't feel so good. And then he got home, said the same thing Ben Carson said when he lost his luggage, which was my luggage. <laughs> no, he also didn't say that. <laughs> but it's true, he didn't know where his luggage was. And then he died. And right after he died, his beloved tortoiseshell cat, Katarina, died. <clears throat> because she couldn't go on without him. And that is real. His cat did die right after him. And the cat was named Katarina, spelled C-A-T-T-E-R-I-N-A. <laughs> All right, that's that's kind of hilarious that he named the cat that, and that, that's also that's sad. It just makes, sadly, it makes me reflect though that Tristan, if you die, your cats will eat your eyeballs and move on with their lives. Yes, this is true. Uh, cats cats will eat their owners uh, <laughs> when yep, they die before dogs, no less. Oh yeah. No, dogs would be sad for, I mean, dogs would probably be sad until they actually die, uh, not cats. And, and I don't even, I don't even think it's like a starvation thing. I think it's like, it's kind of like, oh yeah, they're dead. Now it's our turn. Yep. You know? Finally. <laughs> Stop guy. moving. Finally. Uh, okay. So we, uh, do we want to start by talking about the space of this, what do we call it? Like, I feel like it says his apartments, but it's like a castle. Yeah, and and he makes the point that it is uh, that like you know that, that usually like, and I think he's saying you know like Versailles, right, where you have like these long ass galleries and like a lot of mirrors. The whole thing is like so you could sort of like an illusion of being able to see forever. This is like some weird ass funhouse shit where every mm-hmm. like it, the galleries are all twisted around each other in a way that like as I said, like it, it has to be like a word object. Like I don't think you know if you tried to draw this, it would look like very. MC Escher or like, or like Salvador Dali or some shit. And, and I think, I mean, like 
so you know in one sense i think it's, ooh, it's cool and spooky but i do think that there's something like uh, the the impossibility of that space like is important in some way to what this palace is supposed to be signifying yeah are you did you want to read a read a touch of it we've got the the apartments were so irregularly disposed that the vision embraced but little more than one at a time. There was a sharp turn at every 20 or 30 yards, and at each turn a novel effect. To the right and left, in the middle of each wall, a tall and narrow Gothic window looked out upon a closed corridor which pursued the windings of the suite. These windows were of stained glass whose color varied in accordance with the prevailing hue of the decorations of the chamber into which it opened. It's a long way to say it's the same fucking color, dude. (laughs) (laughs) That at the eastern extremity was hung, for example, in blue, and vividly blue were its windows. The second chamber was purple in its ornaments and tapestries, and here the panes were purple. The third was green throughout, and so were the casements. The fourth was furnished in orange. Um, the fifth was white. The sixth was violet. Uh, and then we had the, seventh. the seventh apartment was closely shrouded in black velvet tapestries that hung all over the ceiling and down the walls, falling in heavy folds upon a carpet of the same material and hue. And that's where we have the, the tiger velvet paintings, right? yes half of them are tigers and half of them are elvis (laughs) which yeah which bottom half or top half (laughs) but you also get so like the lighting's also fucking weird too because there's no light inside any of the rooms he has these tripod candle shits sitting out Mm -hmm. wait there's light right because it has all this uh or no the windows are stained glass Right. Yeah, but, yeah. And, and then, the, but the illumination is coming for through the stained glass from these giant blazing tripods. He's got. Oh out. right, I, I'm sorry, I, you're I, right. So I assume the galleries are all wrapping around this centralized hallway, but like that's not. Okay. Yeah, but in yeah, okay. Oh wait a minute. So there's nothing in the hallway. Is the thing? It would have to be empty at the center, which is like a real nice little po thing. Except yeah, with, yeah. Except with lights. With like blazing tripods. Yeah. Okay. Like, just baskets of. It's almost yes. as though we've come to the conclusion that we started with, which is that this is actually like completely impossible to parse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. It, it yeah. Um and so like it is interesting because like to a degree that is familiar from like the gothic right like so if you read gothic fiction like uh you know earlier gothic fiction it's, it's all like the, the castle that is like a labyrinth that like you can't get out of and, and that that also that kind of like signifies the um you know usually the sort of like tyrannical authority of like the the the, the prince or the count or whoever like the you know the, the dastardly villain is um but like uh and, and you know there's other things like kind of the, the unknowability you know shit like you, you can you you know fill in the blank for what you want that to signify but like the difference is that like that usually it's like ooh, like a dark dungeon and like you know spooky like dr- dripping water this is like a fucking lsd fun house prison you know I, until like suddenly i think in that final room where we got the black and the red and you know that's where we see the red death itself i'm not even really kidding when i say that this sounds like a 70s italian horror movie no i think yeah. you're right about because i think he's just being a fucking weird like he likes this shit because he's just a weirdo yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or he's just like what's spooky you know it's like not the goth the the gothic is like is just his being like a wacko and less i mean it's still like angry at the aristocracy but it's not 
physically put together in a way that's like, oh, in the center is this like logically positioned thing. No, and I mean it's it's more even like the the kind of illogicality of all of it, um, you know, which is I guess it's like a, it's a version of that critique, but but uh, if it's taken to an nth degree, I mean, I think there, you know, you, we could probably say things there about the sort of like a, a, a epistemology of it, right? Like that that you know, part of what the space does is it like disorders in some way your perception, right? So so like in each room, you're only getting like one aspect of like the visual because mm. it's all filtered through these prisons, right? Um, it, and, and, and so, like, in, in like maybe in some way, then, like, the space of the castle prevents you really, uh, you know, any of the participants from getting their heads around, like, what's happening, because it is all kind of so very, very fragmented. But I also do, I mean, so, like, I think that that's possible. I also do think, like, yeah, it's just spooky and weird, and Poe is into that, you know? Yeah, yeah no, I think, I think definitely uh, Poe is for sure into that. I think also, so here's this just absolutely made me laugh out loud when when I read it. But he says, um, it, when he starts to get into the description, he says, uh, the case was very, here the case was very different, as might have been expected from the Duke's love of the bizarre. Like, he's like, <laughs> yeah. I love being an edgy weirdo, you know, like. Yeah. So yeah. So I think it's supposed to, I think like everything is right. It doesn't make sense. It's supposed to definitely alter your sensation and perception and it's also supposed to fragment it in these perfect little weird correspondences Mm -hmm. that look like they equate it looks like it all adds up to something in a reality it doesn't i mean because all of the windows in order to catch light from the outside would have to wouldn't they like where would they have to be, right? Can, do we know anything about this? This is a rabbit hole that I probably shouldn't even go down. Well, there's no, no outside. Right. It's like there should be an outside and yet there's not. I, I, again, I think the sort of impossibility of it, right? Yeah. And it's uh, that, I mean, it's possible. To, so there's this line because now I'm also doing like new criticism times because hmm. uh, I'm just like, oh, the story can't be its own thing. But like, <laughs> uh, it, this is the same thing, Katie, that you were reading, which is like the pains were scarlet. <sighs> uh, and the blood tinted pains, the dark hangings was ghastly in the extreme. I love the way he talks and mm-hmm. produced so wild a look upon the countenances of those who entered that there were few of the company bold enough to set foot within its precincts at all. So either so wild a look as in they're deeply freaked out or mm-hmm. as in so wild a look, meaning the red like produces a look on the, like the red, they look red. Mm-hmm. So the people also when they move from room to room get absorbed into the room oh that's really interesting and it's also like they get absorbed totally superficially yeah right well that's that's an interesting effect too right because it has all of them like like wavering between the individual and like being construed as as part of the space right like that that, like why like how like how did these this uh, this like kind of weird lighting effect like strike people oh it like freaked them out but like but then we very quickly just stop seeing them as like individual actors and more more the mass um and yeah no that's really cool um and then the other thing too is like i think that like the impossibility of it right gets to like we could go all the way back to like when they weld the doors of the castle shut like so mm-hmm. we have questions that we ask about the, like wow the fuck are they living where are they getting food from it seems like right. that would be extremely stinky if they did something <laughs> like that 
but like i think that's be, it's like the at least the fantasy that's driving how the space is put together by the power you know structure or um you know but whether we think of that and we could even think of that as being the author um like that that you know that so that uh it, it, we're just not really ultimately supposed to ask those questions because like oh well this is this isn't real this is fantasy until the moment when like the outside like appears in the middle of it right like that, that you can't you can't imagine the red death away or something like that well and it just sort of you're totally right when you say it just appears right so it's not like we can see it come through the welded doors or like fucking mm. crack a window or whatever right so it just has to appear especially because that the red the guy in the ma- how the fuck do we the mask the mask of the red death i don't know just sort of like <laughs> materializes and it's also like utterly immaterial because there's no guy under it yeah Listen to me just saying words as though I'm interpreting anything. I'm just like doing words. No, that's right. But no, I but I did no, but I just like I was just a little bit stuck too because like oh wow that's even a further significance of mask. It's like a mask that you wear, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we're all wearing masks, man. Many layers, many layers, but many layers of silliness because this know. is like that's. It's what does Poe say? These these were buffoons. Yeah. Yes, they had they had buffo- they didn't. Okay, were they the buffoons or did they, are we the buffoons we wish to see in the world? So it says stuff like there were ballerinas, there were buffoons, there oh, was I another right, thing. Right, right. Yeah, I'm sorry, that's right. That there were like all these things to entertain them. But were they the? The ballerinas and buffoons? No, no, no. I was wrong. It's just, it's there, the quote, appliances of pleasure, which like, uh, (laughs) is like a lovely, like, of course, Vincent Price has appliances of pleasure. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, if you like an appliance, it can be an appliance of pleasure. You enjoy your morning smoothie, your blender is an appliance of pleasure. (laughs) But they, that's the same where he says the Abbey was amply provisioned. Okay, so that's mm-hmm. where we buy it, right? We go like, yeah. all right, well, there's enough food and yeah. booze and weed to keep you happy for however long you need until the Red Death is gone. Yeah, just wait out that Red Death for five or six months. I mean, are they even sure the Red Death is still around? Yeah, right. That's <laughs> yeah. What I was I do is they a little bit of like just, you know, uh, the psych, I, and well, yeah, I mean, something I was thinking about, like, we're all doing the, you know, the, those of us who are fortunate enough to be able to, the the isolation thing, the, and like, just how kind of batty you get. And I was like, you know, like, so, like, I know NASA, for instance, has done, like, quite a bit of, like, psychological research on, like, what happens if you just, like, lock a bunch of people up in, like, a, you know, like a spaceship for a while? You go, cr- right. you, you go batty, you know? <laughs> like the- yeah, you start killing each other. <laughs> yeah. You um, start doing Poe times. Yeah. <laughs> starts yeah. being real po hours well and, and yeah so I, I mean maybe we could tie this to to like just the, the broader kind of like what what it is that's being symbolized by this we're like what, what's the what's the message here <laughs> right? like, like the, the dumbest version of that question but like i mean we can take we can in the most clunk in the clunkiest way take this as like uh, a plague yes right it's a disease it is it's a, it is a disease yeah and and i and it also seemed i mean like if we were imagining a real disease like what like hemorrhagic fever or something like that yeah and it's and you die in 20 minutes half an hour 
Yeah. So so that's also the part that makes it so it doesn't quite work for it to really be a plague. Mm-hmm. No. It, it couldn't it couldn't get any you couldn't do it. It wouldn't spread. No, right. Yeah, that's right. So is it just like a plague of frogs? Is it like a biblical plague in that sense? Like it's a it just arrives on you? You can do the supernatural thing with it and then say what it stands for based on that, you know, too. Like yeah. it's it's just like it's like it's like a claim. Like what it is what the plague is is like a claim, right? It's like the corruption of society hmm. which eats itself. Like that that is sort of like but yeah, you know, and you're right in terms of epidemiology. I mean, that's something that we've learned that, like, the 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 quicker something kills you, actually, the that really cuts down its its transmission uh, capabilities. Um, so he waits until half of the whole. Then, when everybody, yeah. when there are half of the people, and he, then he's like, "Now we gotta, now we gotta take care of this shit," yeah. and and he gets everybody into the house. The creation of the prince's own eccentric yet august taste. <laughs> cool. Uh, and then they weld it shut, right? So it's like we know there's something outside. It's like it's like a disease, but it's Poe, so it just sort of like it's a it's it has qualities, but it's actually like a just big ass abstraction. And what yeah. we're looking at, if we at best can see the the housey thing, the palace. Mm-hmm. What we're looking at on the inside is all these colored rooms and then like a like a haze like a just a death like a red uh snow globe mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right like all without is the red death yeah that's right and 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 i guess it would function more like kind of a the, the biblical plague in the sense that like the idea like they weld themselves in to keep it out right but ultimately like it doesn't that's not what it is it doesn't it doesn't or, or well i mean how like maybe because oh like it was still in some way present inside the castle but i don't think that's what we're asked to think we're asked to think that it just like okay oh you think you can shut this out well you can't because like it's a it's a judgment of some kind right um, oh for sure yeah is it new testament old testament shit katie a judgment <laughs> i think it is like a judgment that sounds yeah. right to me yeah, i think that you d- yeah no there's like it, it does it does do that right like it does have that effect because it's just so cl- crystal clear that they're shitheads and we're supposed to hate them i think <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i mean i think i get that partially from like it opens with like Oh, he, you know, Prospero has a uh, dominions, blah, blah, blah. And then the last line is like the Red Death held illimitable dominion over all. So it is like, and now the Red Death is all powerful. Mm-hmm. Re- yes. Oh, fuck. This is so hard to under. Poe is really difficult to understand. Mm-hmm. Except that it's like, it feels super easy, right? Except that then we're confronted with this real resistance to interpretation. It's not our yeah. fault. It's that the story is like, you know, what a symbolic object is, is red, right? And so we're like, I guess I'm going to work with that. Yeah, no, but you're right. I mean, I think you can sort of as we're, we're sort of struggling to, to to come to a reading on this, like, um, you can see that that like, compared to most dangerous game, right? It's like, we didn't have to just struggle at all there. It's like the symbol no. is like right in your fucking face. Like, what is it? Po- t- I mean, there's always a little bit of a Melville effect. It's like, oh, yeah, you, you like the symbol? Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. oh, you could see, you could see, you could see the symbol. But uh, guess what? Fuck you. You don't actually know what it means. You know, 
I mean, why is he Prince Prospero? Oh, I don't know. No fucking reason. There's no reason this should reference the Tempest or anything. Yeah. Well, no. well, except like, I mean, and honestly, this would be so like, I'm trying to keep I'm trying to there's such a there's such a like a long tradition of criticism around the Tempest and like post colonialism and anti colonial struggle radically change how that text is read. But like, I mean, in some way, like you could see def- you could I keep saying call him Defoe. You could see Poe taking like a fairly progressive, like anti-colonialist reading of Prospero there, right? Like he's named Prospero because yeah, Prospero is a fucking tyrant who like, you know, thinks mm. that he could just have hold ultimate sway over this island space that he, you know, um, but I don't know. Is that really what Poe said? You know, maybe not, but it's tempting to think that it is. I, it's interesting when you think about this thing as being about power somehow as opposed to like really anything else. Yeah. Because it seems like – so what in fact is the problem with them welding themselves in? Usually the problem with uh, rich assholes is that they leave openings for their servants to go out of. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what they do in the Defoe is that they're like, oh, well, somebody has to bring us cheese. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, (laughs) right, it's like somebody has to bring us X, Y, and Z, and I guess because they've stockpiled resources or whatever, they're, they they are in some way, they are maybe directly denying it to the outside world, but that's not, that's not what Poe's saying, that's what I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I wonder how much we're supposed to think of these partiers as rich shitheads and how much we're supposed to think of them as regular dumb fucks like the rest of us like there's one Mm. character in this and a crowd so like Mm. what are we supposed to do Mm -hmm. i mean could it be both because i wonder if consistently with poe i always find that find the question to be like oh it's both things because like tristan you're absolutely right if it's a prince then this means a withholding of resources from everybody else. If it's that the half of his dominions die and he's like, well, I guess I better get this thousand people. What? Yeah. <laughs> Out yeah. of my house. Yeah. And uh, give them like silly games and wine and whatever. Cause it all, he keeps saying it's things like voluptuous, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, yeah. It's extra being in this house is a lot. Yeah. And it's full of sex perverts and, and giggle yeah. parties and Pleasure butt stuff. Yeah. Pleasure appliances. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's also like it's the usual Poe thing of like, well, why not you? No, that's right. And yeah, I was just that yeah, like a thousand courtiers, like you're talking like a fucking Gross. like fre- well, yeah, you're yes, but you're also talking like that's envisioning like a French or British Empire sized court in what otherwise looks like some like weird like kind of micro state somewhere at the like etc you know what like yeah so that that yeah so right so that would that would go to the reading that actually this just telescopes out to some broader claim about the social um so actually yeah like so it it makes me think of like a weird like uh, you know like czarist some czarist bullshit where it's like you and your giant house and everybody else is starving to death Oh yeah, no, totally, totally. Um, yeah, very. much. actually, I can think of some stories about the the seventeenth and eighteenth century czars that uh, that that seems you know very much in that vein. But um, but yeah, like uh, no. So the so the the sixty four Vincent Price movie that I've um, you know I've I've referenced it 
it offers like some reading of this in that like it it fills out Prospero's character much much more. Like one, he's a satanic uh, like he's a satanic priest. Uh, he kidnaps this like peasant girl from the village, and it's like it is very like as I, I told you guys before the show, it is very soddy. And, and then he's like, "I'm going to corrupt you and make you renounce God." And like and and then and, and, and like in, in the palace itself, like part of what he does is he makes all of his like courtiers like humiliate each other for his entertainment. So like awesome. they're like yeah, it is. I, you know, it, it is it is it is extremely soddy and and i think that like there it like what what price and you know the that that film is doing is like taking the okay what this is actually about is this is a critique of like aristocratic power right and that's what we're you know or or, or if not specifically aristocratic power but just power like to, in some sort of excess right and that that's what this story is about and that is totally plausible um and that would also go to like why Poe is interested in the Gothic as a genre. I mean, that was one of the things that like the English Gothic did was critique that kind of, you know, typed as like continental, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, tyrannical power. But yeah, I just, I never that sure that the, that, that, that Defoe really care that what he really is. Yeah. Defoe, why do I keep doing that? That what Poe most cares to do is like some sort of devastating critique on European aristocracy. Like that just feels very distant from him in some ways as well. I, you know, I, and here's what I, I usually would be very happy about this, but now I'm not. The reading that, ho- the only reading that holds for me <laughs> is the, is the Jesus reading, like is the religious reading, mm-hmm. not, not actually, mm-hmm. not so much entirely a, a, a Christly reading, but that's like the only one that, that I think works the whole way through is to see, is to see it in some way as being, um, uh, I don't know about about this con- like about some kind of a condition of fallenness um and just everybody sort of being fucked together but I don't think <laughs> that's what po- but like here's why there's this the scene that makes me think that is the scene of the reveal um where he <laughs> the paragraph starts uh in truth the masquerade license of the night was nearly unlimited but the figure in question they're talking about the red death had outherited Herod and gone beyond the bounds of even the prince's infinite decorum. Um, and then it says, even with the utterly lost to whom life and death are equally jests, there are matters of which no jest can be made. The whole companies indeed seem now deeply to feel that in the costume and bearing of the stranger, neither wit nor propriety existed. The figure was tall and gaunt. Um, he is the habiliments of the grave. The mask which concealed the visage was made so nearly to resemble the countenance of a stiffened corpse that the closest scrutiny might have might have had difficulty detecting the cheat. And yet all this might have been endured, if not approved by the mad revelers around, but the mummer had gone so far as to assume the type of the red death. His vesture was dabbled in blood and his broad brow with the, all the features of the face was besprinkled with the scarlet horror. So I read that and go, Okay, we have the utterly lost who think everything's an LOL. Um, they're entirely like they, they are. They they have originally sinned, and then we have something like uh, we have death intruding, and um, and then we have the blood thing too. Is like it's like scary Jesus. I don't know what the hell. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you're going to do your Jesus reading and you're going to do your clunky Marxist reading, sorry, Tristan, I love you. I am, <laughs> I'm going to come in 
And we're all going to have our cake and eat it too and do my psychoanalytic reading, which is that like this clearly is about the thing that you're trying to keep out, right? So this is the like, this is the degree to which your unconscious puts up these fortifications. And so here comes, here comes the bad and the bad visits itself upon you and you actually can't take it, but it comes through all the fortifications anyway. That's it. You're welcome. Go back to bed. Don't mind if I do. All right. This is a better nap than nap. I'm napping. Lacan time. No, I think you're, I think, <laughs> tuck me in and tell me a story about the real. Oh, no. That sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound good when I said it. Uh, so I, I think that I'm going to go with the psychoanalytic reading. And I think that, uh, Okay, so question, if we if we go with that, what is up with the way that they like then what is everyone? Is everyone one mind? Is everybody what is everything then? Is it are they are we Mm-mm. in a brain? We're just we're not working with any we're only working with the we're only working at the level of the symbolic. Okay, so we're in a dream. They don't get to serve as anything, right? It's just like it's just forms formless shapeless forms um yeah okay so i think that we may be able to you know how you used to maybe take two dolls and make them kiss or whatever i don't know like you smush them together they might not really they might not really go together but you just kind of stuff smush them together anyway (laughs) yeah Um, yeah. so what if we what if we take the 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 marxist reading and the psychoanalytic reading and make them smooch it's called Zizek. <laughs> Have you yeah, read yeah. Zizek? It's oh, called yeah, making yeah. Marx and Lacan smooch. Okay, so what happens if we make them smooch? I want to hear Okay, this. so I want to know what happens if we make them smooch. And what I – the reason why is because there's that moment where they notice the, – the crowd notices the Red Death. And, like, Tristan, I think you kind of alluded to this earlier when ab- – about the the – disintegration and like they they the people that are the attendees the revelers combine into a crowd and they notice the red death as a crowd not as individuals Mm -hmm. like nobody Mm -hmm. no being recognizes the red death they feel it as a group and then are able to like do something with it so my question to you both is is that anything well i think that's the thing that i was talking about with them being absorbed into the space right so it's like the space itself is Mm -hmm. the signifying object and that is not not that the space itself as uh, aristocratic fortification is the symbolic problem, right? It can be the un- it can be like the fortifications that we put up as uh, whatever subjects, right? Like that the that these are sort of like the the fortifications that the unconscious erect, or this can be the fortifications of wealth and and or i'm sorry. i i wonder if it's not like the cuz i just i want to okay whatever this thing is on the inside whatever it's unconscious is i think that outside of it is something like uh there is class outside of it like there is something outside of it to make this mm-hmm. psychology so i think he's oh. like so i think all these references to uh that victor hugo there's a, he refers to this victor hugo play about a bunch of royal people who die i i don't know um 
And mm. he makes all these other references to to like corrupt and decadent and possibly possibly insane royalty like Herod is also in addition like he he says he out Herod Herod and Herod is this like is was the was basically a power hungry hypochondriac maybe not a hypochondriac maybe he was actually sick but this paranoia mm. from the outside i think does something to your faculties of of your mental faculties and that's what this thing that's like the the projector the the projector is built by by uh, society and the screen is the mind i i'm really doing uh <laughs> to you know i'm trying very hard in seminar uh <laughs> that's the new title of the show is trying very hard in seminar <laughs> <laughs> trying very hard in seminar yeah 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 <laughs> well what we've come to is that there's an inside and an outside <laughs> yeah but is uh, is it all inside that's a thing too right it's like it is actually inside because outside just sort of like makes its immaterial appearance as yeah it materializes in its immateriality yeah i don't know i know earlier i just say that like oh yeah you poet it's like yeah there's actually depth to the symbols i i really like one thing that drives me crazy about him i really don't know whether i think that it's smarter than it seems or not <laughs> you know what i mean like i mean like i said i think that's the fun of it is that like doing interpretive work with it is always about like pushing it it's it's like desire not to be interpreted and and it does i mean and uh, yeah i mean and i do think that like you know for uh, fairly obvious reasons but like the psychoanalytic lens is uh, probably the most productive with with i mean that's you know that's why lacan and others have been drawn to him um but I also think that that's because those questions motivate him more than, you know, some of the historicist questions that are typically the ones that I give a shit about, you know? It's also like the day I'm having, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, like, today I feel like doing a little bit of Lacan hours. I think in this case, you're, th- this is, it's it's a real, it's a real fortunate pairing here. Because, yeah, no, I think that's fucking it. I I just... I think that he is obsessed with psychology, but it's like, so it just sort of, he just sort of shits it out. Also, he has mama drama, so it's not like. Yes, it's like, it's like you you ate psychology, you'll shit psychology, you know? Right. Yes. It's not like I, he didn't, he's not constructing it purposely to do anything, I don't think. But I think that nonetheless, that's exactly what things come out like through the mesh of his fucking brain. I mean, and I also think that, like, almost all of his work, and that's part, I mean, that's partly why I went there, is, like, his work responds to psychoanalytic questions. That's it, too, Mm -hmm. right? Is that, like, moving into this in that way helps us to think, not bigger thoughts, but, like, it helps us to sort of, like, unpack something. The, The issue, though, is that what you're doing is you're unpacking it almost exclusively, like, symbolically or for like a version of the form because it's not like gonna tell you a different kind it's not gonna like give you a different kind of insight right it's just gonna give you insight about it's like what the what the palace with its fortifications is doing Mm -hmm. like that's that's a very particular kind of engagement 
because we we don't want to do we don't want to do the the glasses of theory, right? Like we don't want to take them on and off as though we're just doing like today we're doing Marxism and today you know like you have to sort of you read them across each other, not as again like you're not doing I'm not doing Freud binoculars. <laughs> it makes everything look bigger. <laughs> Well done. Yeah, actually. Uh. Yes, it does. <laughs> Objects and mirror are larger than that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I can't believe that's where we've where we are moving on. That's that's a turn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a turn. It's fun. Uh, I, I just want to say that uh, also well, Freud, uh, early childhood man. This is. My brain's making some leaps. Uh, I just want to uh, say, uh, my my son, and actually my wife, but uh, gave me uh, a, a a children's book based on Edgar Allan Poe called Edgar Gets Ready for Bed, which is uh, features a, a raven uh, baby, uh, and you know, it's like Edgar, put on your pajamas, and it says it says never more. Get it? It's a it's a quote of the the poem. So no, it's cool. It's very cute. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's uh it's one of those uh it's one of those it's for the it's for the grown ups and the kids. <laughs> no, it is actually I've gotten a f- quite a few of those. My favorite might be uh Mo- the Moby Dick sort of picture book. Uh <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have that too. Yeah. I think cuz we all have the same friends who are like, yeah. you know, it would be great. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a, it's, it's a very it's a very cute book. Um it, I'm going to have to go look for that. It does look fucking adorable. <laughs> Uh, so Katie, we ha- I can't wait to hear about this game. This is going to be dope. We're playing a game, sweet, and that game is called Poe No. Just because <clears throat> it was all I could think of. Um, and so what we're going to do is just kind of we're going to get to know Poe. You better know Poe. Y- you might be Edgar Allan Poe. No. Anyway, okay, <laughs> so. Uh I hope I'm never Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. There's a lot of writers I'd be first. <laughs> yeah. So first we're gonna just do a little fun little quiz here. I'm gonna give you three quotes about cats. Uh and you're gonna tell me which one was Edgar Allan Poe's. Okay? Cool. Mm-hmm. Here's one. There is something in the unselfish and self-sacrificing love of a brute, which goes directly to the heart of him who has had frequent occasion to test the paltry friendship and gossamer fidelity of mere man. That's your first one. Okay. Second choice. One cat just leads to another. (laughs) (laughs) And here's your third choice about cats. I didn't quite get this one. Maybe you two can explain it. Enough with the small talk. My girl's pussy is a water park. (laughs) (laughs) I know that's really gross. I'm going to beep that out. (sighs) You're going to beep pussy? (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) You're going to beep the whole thing. (laughs) Uh, The second one. One cat leads to another. Tristan. One uh, yes, <laughs> I mean I'm certainly not taking the third one. <laughs> All choices. Uh, Nobody wants to touch yeah. that one. Um, okay, so it was actually uh, that was Ernest Hemingway. 
That was Ernest Hemingway. One cat just leads one to another. Cat. Who said one cat leads to oh, another? Oh, of course it was, because Hemingway is the, the weirdo with 50 cats. 80 billion yeah. cats. All the inbred cats. Yeah. Yes. Um, I have to be – I mean, also, the, the, the diction and everything of the first one is very it's much – cl- Right, that's definitely like, Poe, but, like, I still – I, I like the second quote better, I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe nobody went for the Lil Wayne quote. Um, oh. that's okay uh here's some quotes about old age and tell me which is poe i don't iron if i'm not wrinkle free why should my clothes be yeah that's that's poe i can tell you (laughs) (laughs) here's one here's another one i was never kinder to the old man than during the whole week before i killed him Mm -hmm. (laughs) cool three Sex at 90 is like trying to shoot pool with a rope. Oh my God. <laughs> so bad. So the first one is um, Twain. Second one is Poe. <laughs> and the third one is John Updike. <laughs> <laughs> That's so much better than what it is. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I have. I, who the fuck is the third one? But yeah, the, the, the Poe is definitely uh, choice B, right? Yes. <laughs> but and I'm trying to think what is that who uh, anyway. No. So who who was ANC? George Burns and Maxine the cranky cartoon on those cards. Uh, okay. All right. George what, Burns, yep, got what it. What Poe is the is is B from? It is from The Telltale Heart. Okay. All right. Cuz yeah. he's so, mad. Yep. <laughs> it's a story about being mad at an eyeball. Okay, so here are some quotes about Poe to identify. Okay. Because we're doing Poe now. All right, and this one, we're just going to kind of, we're going to, we're going to make it, make this a little straightforward here. Uh, You're just going to have two choices. And I'll give you, I'll give you A and B. Um, To me, Poe's prose is unreadable, like Jane Austen's. No, there is. Mm. <laughs> <I know. laughs> no, there is a difference. I could read his prose on salary, but not Jane's. Uh, what a dipshit! That's Hawthorne. <laughs> no, that's is that like T. S. Eliot or something? It was Mark Twain. Was it really? All right. Ah. All right. Well, Twain is very wrong about Austin. Uh, I do appreciate the burn on his near contemporary, though. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Okay. Here we have, I'm going to give you two choices here. We have Wharton, two friends, Wharton and Henry James, who said what? Okay. Who called, who would refer to Poe as that drunken and demoralized Baltimorean? James, for (laughs) sure, right? who said an enthusiasm for poe is the mark of a decidedly primitive stage of reflection i think the first one is james and the second one is wharton yeah i think so too the the the, the first one is um sort of jerky elitist enough to be james i think <laughs> F- flip it flip it and reverse it oh damn uh, okay i don't know they're both they're okay you know what they're both catty it's, yeah all right <laughs> yeah. exactly okay so here's an so so who said that, which one of our authors uh, that we have covered on this very podcast here this fine audio program said of poe that he was not far from being insane in the literal clinical sense hmm 
Octavia Butler. Let's see in the literal clinical sense. Uh, if Melville said that shit, I am going to no, be so happy. Uh, oh, man. Hold on. Uh, Orwell. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good choice. That's fucking correct. Oh, Yay, Tristan, you did it. I also totally just did that, like not based on what the author would think, but just like that vocabulary. I'm like, that sounds like early to mid 20th century. <laughs> like, <laughs> it does, actually, yeah. And Hemingway would have just been like, oh, slap, drunk, you know, but <laughs> right. more cats. I too am the drunkest man. More cats. <laughs> Penis metaphor. <laughs> whiskey 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 we're not. short hair ladies what can i tell you oh gross women scary <laughs> short hair whore. Yeah. <laughs> here's one we've got one final poe for you after we've done the done the hemingway um poe knows baseball <laughs> And that is a thirty-year-old joke. Uh-huh, it is. Uh, Take it to the bank. That that is a deep, deep Bo you Jackson. Shut up, Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson jokes. <laughs> Don't Great. That's not, I mean, he 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 played baseball and football. I mean, professionally, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure lots of people who are 23 years old know who that is. Well, you know the kid, the kids today, they don't. But back in my day, sports were good. <laughs> that Frank Thomas really knew how to play two sports. <laughs> I remember Ted Williams batting 40 years before I was born. <laughs> oh, sir. You two sluggers, I tell you. Um <laughs> Uh, I only watch the XFL, so um, I don't have much football to watch anymore. <laughs> yeah. so I actually sort of don't know. All right, we got a poet, and he said, said something about Poe that's really interesting. Is famous famous English poet? He said that. Oh, I don't. I think he's English. We'll see. That Poe had a powerful intellect is undeniable, but it seems to me the intellect of a highly gifted person before puberty. <laughs> That's kind of a sick burn. It is a quite a sick burn. Yeah. So is this the T.S. Eliot moment where it's both an American and a Brit? Yes. Oh, nice. damn. Nice. nice. Fuck it. You guys are on fire. Yeah. No, I'm surprised. Uh, the Orwell and the Eliot, those were both Those were both hard. You killed the... You know, for people who are just dicking around in seminar. Yeah. We're killing yeah, it. I know. We're good. Oh. We're good at school, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Doing our best in seminar. <laughs> oh, we should probably swear less in seminar. Uh, but that's should we? Know, no reason. Um, <laughs> well, it turns out that so my original game was involved the uh, interactive point and click search games that the many of which exist based on Poe's books inexplicably. These games don't make any sense. You find all sorts of objects and have fist fights. And um, that mm. didn't work out. So we kind of got a, a hodgepodge of Poe. And all I have to say is Poe, Poe yes, because you two are great. <laughs> 
you know, we, we, I feel actually like fairly, uh, rewarded by this one. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm, yeah. I think we, we both had at least one answer to be pretty proud of there. I think you so. Nothing but right. net sports. Nothing. Well, we all boasted baseball metaphors, but I like that you're mixing our <laughs> metaphors so much. It's on brand for all of us. <laughs> I like to get them nice and mixed. Uh, okay. Thanks all. This has been better than dead. You can find me on Twitter at Tesslersaurus. You can find Katie on Twitter at Katie Crywo. You can find Tristan on Twitter at TJ Schweiger. You can find the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Better Ed Pod, and email us at betteredpodcast at gmail.com, but only to tell us which of the brightly colored rooms you would like to hang out in and what you would wear <laughs> to a five-month-long party. Uh, our intro music is Love Bronstein by the Redskins and used with their permission. Our logo was created by Jane Bonsack of JB Design and Content. Rate, review, subscribe, and next week we have Essie Hinton's The Outsiders. And to close out the season, we have Ursula K. Le Guin's The Dispossessed after that. Thanks, comrades. No, I beg of you. Mercy, mercy. Lord Satan, send me a demon. <laughs> <laughs>